Well, friends, as has already been mentioned, we have a special treat this morning. We're so glad to have Bill and Ann Clemmer, who minister with International Ministries, uh, with us here to share about their ministry and what the Lord has put on their heart. Um, they're going to share with us this morning. If you'd like to learn more about them, so we also printed out so they have some uh, flyers with information. Those are on the back table as you go out if you'd like more. Also, um, you'll see through the website that is mentioned on here, you can read regularly about the uh, regularly published updates. This is their most recent update, Homecoming. Uh, and so, again, talking about their ministry, a wonderful way to keep in touch. I also follow uh, Ann on Facebook, and she's always posting these amazing videos. Um, wonderful just to be able to see how God is moving through their ministry. So, Bill and Ann, we're so glad that you're with us today. So, please come on up and share with us uh, what the Lord is doing. Good morning. It's wonderful to worship with you this morning. Um, this church has supported us for 30 years. We've been missionaries, and we want you to know how much that means to us, but it also means so much to the people with whom we work, because the partnership between churches here in the U.S. and uh, the, the people that we work with overseas, um, God is doing, just doing amazing things in our part of the world. We live in Goma, which is eastern DR Congo. It's an extremely wealthy area where um, Congo is actually the richest country in the world for mineral resources. And those resources um, are in the area of Congo where we live in eastern Congo. And even though the, there's great wealth, there's so much poverty and the people are suffering. Um, we have Ebola epidemics. We've had um, um, the volcano in our town erupted just uh, in 2021. Um, a lot of poverty and a lot of war and uh, rebel movement and threats to the population. And it's, it's just such a blessing to be able to serve there. We started 30 years ago. I actually turned 70 in December, and I never dreamed that I would still be working uh, overseas uh, at my age. I look forward to retiring and being home with our kids and our grandkids, but God just keeps opening doors, and how can you, how can you walk away? Um, we came to, to Goma. I followed Bill. Uh, Bill's a medical doctor, and he's been assigned from place to place. We've, we've lived in a number of different uh, countries, and everywhere we go, I find some way to serve. But when we came to Goma, uh, six years ago, um, I wasn't sure what I'd do. Our kids were all back in the States, uh, and it was just the two of us. And I met with Sunday school teachers. There were 12 Sunday school teachers who said, pray with us that God will give us a tent, because they had about 100, 120 children come into Sunday school, and they met in the, in the parking lot, just standing up in the, in the open air in the parking lot. So we prayed, but God had a bigger plan than that. We now have this huge Sunday school facility with about 700 kids every Sunday morning. We have 60 Sunday school teachers between the ages of 14 and 24. And my passion is teaching high school. And it's, I mean, it's just such a joy to work with them. They, they live in tough situations. They don't have electricity, but... But for them to be able to come and serve God um, 
in any way that they teach, they are able. Um, Sunday school teaching is one. Then during the week we have this facility with uh, empty classrooms, and children can't go to school in Congo with, uh, unless they pay school fees, and many, many of the families can't send their children. So during the week we open the doors, and, and these, these young people with whom I work have a passion for serving God. And they will teach. We have, um, we have leadership classes. We have Bible studies. We have English class. We have uh, classes for those who've never learned how to read. We have computer classes, um, leadership. Uh, just in the last two weeks, um, a young man wrote, and he said that he, he's, he's studied photography, and he started a photography class for, for young people across Goma who can't afford to go to school, but they can come and learn skills that will help them in life. And uh, gosh, what a blessing. And then we started doing parenting classes for the parents of Sunday school children. Um, we, the, young, the women in the church, there are a lot of widows who have taken in um, many, many orphan children um, because AIDS has been prolific there as well. And so we started a GOAT project with the women a couple of years ago, we gave out 75 goats, and nine months later, after those goats gave birth, then the mother goats were given to 75 other women, and the women's group in church has grown to about 275 now, um, who who support each other, and uh, gosh, I just can't praise God enough for, for what he's doing there. Um, and then our latest Thing. Just after the volcanic eruption in June, of, no May of 2021, we started to see uh, homeless children uh, come to Sunday school, and we wanted to do something for them. We didn't have room except for on Saturday mornings. So on Saturday mornings, we started uh, opening the doors to these children. They come at six. They get showers. They hear the word of God. They get to play on the playground. They have counseling one-on-one and group counseling. Um, and uh, it wasn't enough, so we we knew that we wanted to do something, but we didn't know how we were going to do it. But God always has an answer. He knows what he's doing. And uh, uh, a man wrote us from Ohio, and he said, he said, if you had a dream, what would it be? And we said, a full-time program for these street children. And what would that take? And it would take a building. And he wrote us a check and sent us money to build a, a building, which... Last uh, uh, October, we opened a full-time ministry to street children. And, uh, gosh, God is just blessing and opening doors. And uh, it's a privilege to be part of it. It's easy for me to talk about it. I know what I'm talking about, and I know the people. But for you, you're just hearing the words. So we made a short little video so you could see uh, see where, uh, where we work and, and the ministries and some of the people that we work with. So. Good morning. I wanted to start off showing you where I do my work. Peel Africa is a large campus. The hospital is on one side, dirt roads, and social ministry is on this side. Starting with the chapel behind me. And then there's the Tungani School, uh, Sunday School, and the playground.
as the American Baptist missionaries from Maine to Africa. And God deserves all the glory and praise. And we just thank Him for His faithfulness. So 31 years ago, we came here for the first time. Ann and I, we, we had three children, one on the way we didn't know about. And you were one of our main churches who basically set us out. And I had no idea that we would persevere, or we would stay. And every, every Christmas, we try and come home to see our four kids and our four grandkids, and we get our physicals, our dental and our eye exam, and we get cleared to go back. And we, aside from this little mishap with Ann Schroeder, we're, we hope to get clearance to go back on Wednesday, and we will be going back uh, the first week of February. Contrary to what I had envisioned when I first signed up for this gig, my wife and I own a home in Illinois, Maine. We had been we had been residents of Maine for 35 years. I, I did my training here. We own a home. We sent our kids to school here. I paid taxes here. I'm licensed by the Maine Board of Registration and Medicine. They've been so good to honor my medical license every year. I take an exam, pay my fees, and send in all my virtual training. And Maine has been a huge part of our support. And so um, we come home, and uh, but there was a point when I thought after 30 years, that's when we're finally going to fix up this old home in Arnold, Maine, and you know we're going to retire and and you know plant a garden and you know maybe I'll buy a pickup truck or camp. I don't know what people in Maine do, but but that was my vision during the difficult trying years in the Congo. And it's funny how God changes your vision. I can't. We've been here three weeks, and I can't. I can't wait to get back. And retirement is something that just, it just, those things don't hold an interest to me anymore. But maybe I could start if Adam left me. I'll start at the beginning because I didn't, Anna and I didn't start out with this vision, with this calling of being missionaries. I grew up in a small town, a little bit like Camden, Yarmouth, Massachusetts, on Cape Cod, very, very similar to this town, small town, by the sea, and I couldn't wait. When I grew up to get out of that town, I wanted to do anything to get out of that little town and see the world. And so when I graduated from Boston College in, I forget what year, 1978, 79, I joined the Peace Corps. I just wanted to get out of New England and see the world. And I was sent to Africa, actually, to the country of Mali, where I was to teach high school mathematics in Gao, Mali. Gao was a desert town on the fringe of the Sahara Desert, 120 miles northeast of Timbuktu. It was everything that I had dreamed about. I just wanted to get away and see the world, and I didn't realize Mali was a French-speaking country. I, you know, if you basically, if you, you know, grow up here on the Cape, you don't really know what the world is like. And it was a wonderful experience. The desert and the camels and the caravans, and I was the only English-speaking person of my culture in that setting, but it was also, after a couple of months, it was a little bit boring. No electricity, no one to really talk with aside from my students. And before I, I went, a friend from my home, from, um, from school, gave me a copy of the Bible, which I had never read. And it wasn't until I was so bored in the desert between teaching classes that I read the Bible for the first time. And I grew up in a Christian church, but I wasn't really a Christian. And I read that my salvation is not predicated upon what I would do, my acts in going to Africa, and this had nothing to do with my salvation. My salvation was based upon what Jesus has already done for us. And I became, at the age of 21 or 22, in the middle of the Sahara Desert, a born-again believer. 
And during that time, during that year in the desert, um, I lived in a little mud brick home. And in the desert, you have to live in a sort of a thick mud brick home during the day because it's so hot outside. But those homes become like ovens during the evening. So I had a flat roof, and every night I would basically climb up on the roof. And, you know, I had a little thin mattress, and I would sleep there. I don't know how to explain, but during that first year in the desert, upon be, uh, upon becoming a believer, I had this unshakable call that God wanted me to come back as a missionary. I didn't know what a missionary was, but I knew that God was calling me. And that call and that voice would come almost every night. And I was afraid that God would ask me to be a pastor like Adam or something else. And, and, and during that process, I had this vision and this thought that maybe I could come back as a doctor. Never had really taken the requisite courses. I never thought about it. And so it was a process. It was a strong, firm calling that when I was done with the Peace Corps, I'm coming back to Maine. I'm going to get into medical school. I'm going to do my residency. It'll take 10 years, but I'm going to come back to Africa as a missionary doctor. In my second year, Peace Corps has a habit of making sure one doesn't serve alone in places. And so Peace Corps sent a co-worker to the middle of the Sahara Desert to be with me, to do, actually not to be with me, but to teach. And Peace Corps sent this long, blonde-haired woman from South Carolina to the middle of the desert. Last thing I ever asked for the United States government, and that's when I met my wife to be Anne. And Anne also was a new uh, a believer. She, she, uh, she had recently come to know Jesus uh, as her Lord and Savior through the ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ. So think about this. New believer in the middle of the desert, meets a woman like Anne. I remember thinking, if this is what's going to be like to be a Christian, I'm in. <laughs> and what was interesting is, Anne had the same calling. She had taught at school when she came to Africa seeking a different calling. And so when we left that continent, we knew God's calling upon our life to be missionaries. And we came to Maine and enrolled and started a long process, seven, four years of medical school, three years of residency, and somewhere along that process, I asked questions, God, do you really want me to go back to Africa? You see, during that, during those years of training and residency, we were married, we had children, I had to pass my student loan debts in 19, I forget when, when I finished my residency in 19, 1988, we moved to the state of New Hampshire, I worked as an ER doctor for three years to pay off my obligations. We bought a home and a car, another child up on the way. And I remember asking God, well, that was a nice calling that I had earlier on, but wouldn't it make sense if I stay? And I want to be a responsible physician and a doctor and a, and a father and a husband. So I remember talking to the Lord about, do you, do you really want us to be missionaries? And so... And during that process, God put up with our foolishness. And it was a man named Michael Elliott, who I'm sure you know as a former pastor of the church. Uh, Michael was our youth pastor when Ann and I were newlyweds in Bangor, Maine. And he knew upon our calling. And Michael contacted the American Baptist Churches in Pennsylvania. I blame him since. And arranged to purchase tickets for Ann and I to take the train from White, from, what was it? White River Junction in Vermont to Pennsylvania to meet with the American Baptist Bishop. Well, I knew Michael. He was a friend, and it's hard to say no, but I had a job, and I was busy, and I kept putting Mike off, and finally we took the train down, and I met the uh, Board of the uh, board of International Ministries and outside of, you know, Philadelphia, and 
I shared with them the same story that I shared with you, minus the part that I didn't like what I'm doing now. And they offered us on the spot a job to be missionaries in first in Haiti and then in Zaire when there was a huge need. And they said, well, this is great. This is God's call. And I remember thinking, Michael, what did you do? And But we wanted to be nice and polite. And we told them, you know, thank you very much. Well, we'll have to think about it. But I knew there was no way I was going to leave the practice and the lifestyle that I had. And we thanked them very much, shook their hands. We got back on the train, took the train from Philadelphia to White River Junction, Vermont. Don't turn 68. Your memory sucks. And that train in the middle of it, we left our kids with babysitters. I had to work the next day. And that train broke down in the middle of Vermont in a place where there were no lights and no tracks. And it broke down cold turkey, no lights, no heat. And the conductor came back and said, we don't know what's, what's, what's going to happen. And, you know, please be patient. And it was ours. And we had said that, we had told the mission board that we would pray about the decision. You always say that, don't you? Well, I'll certainly pray about it. And we said that, but we didn't until we were in the dead of Vermont. It was cold and it was dark and an hour passed and Anne looked at me and I looked at her and I said, well, we might as well pray. And we prayed. We prayed and prayed and prayed. And we got up from our chairs and we knew that God was calling us to Africa. And the train set it up brought us back to Vermont. Uh, I, I, uh, I um, wrote a letter of resignation from my job. We put our house up on the market, told the kids who were moving, came here uh, prior to our going overseas. And it's good that God doesn't let us know in advance what may be coming. There were challenges. There were always challenges. And the, the challenges in Congo and working 30 years, I get tired of talking about them, but they're there. You know, Ebola and the Civil War, and the volcanoes, and the evacuations in 1988 during the the Congolese War. Our hospital was attacked by rebel elements. We knew in advance that they were coming. All the expatriates, all the missionaries were were getting ready to leave. I was doing obstetrics at the time. I had two patients in labor. I had a C-section coming up, and I had this thought that maybe I should stay. In the last moment, I did stay. Our families were able to get out. Not a good call on my part. The rebels came. I was taken in. I was questioned. They threatened to remove my ears. And at the end of the day, they left, but they took everything that we owned, and I was behind rebel lines and separated um, from my family and couldn't find out where I was and because uh, they took our radios and all that. And, and uh, our mission board actually wanted to send Anne back to the state of Maine with our kids. And Anne said, I'm not leaving the continent with my husband. And we separated for 11 months. But God got us through that. But aside from the challenges, there were so many blessings. I want you to think about raising four children in the middle of Africa. No electricity, no internet, no devices. No, I mean, you always know where your kids are at the school. Of course, we used to home the school. And then, you know, card games and games. What, what a wonderful place to raise children. I have, we have fond, fond memories. It was almost like the 1950s. I don't remember the 1950s. But it was, what a place to raise a family. I think back 30 years of all the patients uh, that we were able to help and treat, the nursing students, the residents. I remember being in the center of God's will, which I would attest to as been the safest place for us and for any of us. So we acknowledge and we give thanks and praise to God for his blessings and his multiple provisions.
So what am I going to talk about this morning? So I had the opportunity to go online. I, um, Aaron and I, um, uh, we visit, um, we're supported by mainly Maine churches, mainly Maine churches. I think uh, there's a church in every county and every town that supports us. And so we haven't been here in six years because, one, we don't come home, but once a year. We don't have time to visit but four or five churches. And we're thrilled to be here this morning. The last time we were here, I think, was six or seven years ago. And um, But we do have the chance to listen to your online services. And uh, knowing I was coming here, I, I, did a, I did have the opportunity to listen to Adam's service last week, which was pretty prophetic. Um, I have to look at it. Did we serve you well? And Adam was here and, and preached uh, an excellent sermon on the parable of the talents. And did we use, have we used well the talents that the Lord has given us? Adam, you depicted the, the picture of how on our deathbed we're, we will come face to face with Jesus or the Lord. And we may be inclined to ask God, did you serve us well? But really, the question is, did we serve you well? And Adam talked about our identity needs to be of that of service, of that of really using the talents we have to serve the Lord. And that was inspiring. But it, thought, but it really pushed me into thinking, Lord, have I served you well? And what have I done with the talents that you have given me over the past 30 years? I love the story that the Apostle Paul talks about in Second Corinthians something. I'm a doctor. But, but, but he talks about how we, when we come to know the Lord Jesus as our Savior, we have this foundation, this unshakable, unmovable foundation of faith that nobody can ever take away. And it is upon that foundation that we have the capacity to build. And Paul talks about how during our lives, some using the talents that we have been given, some, some may build houses of gold or silver or jewels, or some may build houses of wood and straw and hay. And Paul said at the end of our lives, everyone, we will be refined by fire. And the fire will come and it will burn away all the frivolous, self-serving things that we did in life. My house in New Hampshire, the camp that I wanted, Sorry. Um, all the things, all my worries, and all the things that I spent so much time and energy on, that will all be wiped away. And the only thing that will last at the end of our day is what we have to bring to the Lord. The bottle project this morning, the people that we serve, the lives saved. Only the, the only thing that will last is what we have invested in for the Lord. And that parable has been an unshakable. Um, Force for what it it is a real motivating force. Paul talks about how some will escape that fire with only the clothes on their back, meaning everything that we invested in was not for the Lord, was not for the kingdom. We still have we still have we still have that foundation. There's no worry. And but Paul says very clearly, some of us will escape only with the clothes on our back. I don't know about you, but I don't want to come to the Lord with everything that He's given us, with just my clothes. I want to come to the Lord and say, look, Lord, you gave me two talents, and look what I've done with it. That has been such a motivating, and as we get older, that resonates more and more and more. 
Hebrews says that, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and will find grace to help us when we need it most. Adam mentioned that our foundation is unshakable. And our salvation is clear. We know that we will be before the Lord. We should not tremble when we come before the throne of grace. But wouldn't it be nice to come to the Lord and say, Father, you gave me this medical diploma from Maine or this business or this, and look what I've done, Lord. And I long to hear those words. A good and faithful servant. You have been faithful, Bill and Ann and Adam and others. With the little that I gave you, come into my presence. That is the most motivating sentence that we have heard. I want to share just a quick story before closing. Uh, we have, as Ben mentioned, we've served in a lot of countries, worked in a lot of places. We are based in the Congo, but the past eight years we've worked in Yemen. I was there for six months this past year, Somalia. Burundi, Mali, uh, we're, we find that as we get older, for some reason, when we should be winding down, we're really winding up. And I had the opportunity to uh, lead a team into the recent uh, Ebola outbreak in, in Congo in uh, 2020. It was Congo's longest and deadliest outbreak in history. It actually lasted for, for 18 months. When I volunteered to lead this team with 40 doctors and nurses into the hospital, and I was thinking this will last just a couple of months like my experience before with being in captivity, it lasts a lot longer. And uh, in the area that I was stationed, uh, Beni, which is a town in eastern Congo, on the Congo-Uganda border, um, it was a devastating experience. Um, over over, over 3,500 people died. There was such panic and such fear. Mothers would lock their children in their homes. Schools were closed. Churches were closed. Nobody went to market. Crops were late. People were basically living in fear in their own homes. And as we were going from place to place and trying to find patients and people that were ill and making sure that we brought those that were, that were exposed and treatment, you can picture me for 18 months with this white suit and, and 116 degrees, not 116, it was hot. And I came upon this elderly pastor, 86-year-old pastor. His name was David. And he was at his church, a church about the size of, of this. And the church very much empty because nobody was coming to church. And I met this, this, this poor, wonderful, humble, 86-year-old pastor, David. And I said, Pastor, my friend, I don't, don't you think it's time to go home? I knew that he had family in another town. His children had actually mentioned Bill, Dr. Bill, if indeed you were going to this town, please find our dad. Tell him to come home. And I said, David, isn't it time for you to come home? And he looked at me and he said, Dr. Bill, Jesus is coming. And when he comes, I want him to find me in the garden and not at home. And I found that as well extremely motivating. I have faced a lot of death in my experience of 30 years in the Congo, whether it's from HIV AIDS, which has wiped out so many families and mentioned we've got over with thousands of street children in the streets of Goma, largely whose parents died from AIDS or uh, cholera, malaria, the biggest killer. Every day there's children that come and die in our hospital. And um, we never know. We never know when death will come. Death could be as close as Ann and I are driving back in our car to Orono this afternoon in a storm 
or on a flight back to Congo, or I might live to be 95. I don't know when that will, will, when that will come, but I can assure you that it will. And I want to be ready. I want to not only bring to the Lord the gifts that He has given me, I want to utter the words that Paul has given us. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept my faith. And that is my words I want to leave with this dear congregation. And I visit a lot of churches in the state of Maine when we're home. I think kind of every church. And we visit now a lot of empty churches, dying churches, and it's a blessing. I think there's more of you here than, than when I spoke 31 years ago. It's a good thing that some of you were new. You might not have come back. Um, but I see the Lord doing great things within this community. And I would appeal to you to remember the words of Paul. I have. I have fought. I have won the fight. I have finished the race. And I have kept the faith. May the Lord make this ring true for all of us today. And thank you so much, as Ann mentioned, for 30 years of support and prayer and love. I don't know that if we deserve it, but we feel very welcome at your church. And thank you for your love and prayers. And pray that the doctor's visit with Ann on Wednesday will, will go well and the shoulder is healing. And we'll be able to go back as planned first week of February. And we'll see you again in five years when I'm 75. Can you imagine that? Uh, may the Lord bless you in Jesus' name. As the worship team comes forward for the closing song, you know, Bill's a doctor, I'm a pastor, so the passage that he referred to in 1 Corinthians is 1 Corinthians 3, and I think it bears reading as we prepare to close. As we consider, what are we building with our lives, and what will last? Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Friends, are we building that which will last? And as Anne asked, and as I wrote down, God just keeps opening doors. How can you walk away? Friends, what doors is God going to open for you and for us this next year? Let's stand and close.